Mariners Dreams podcast here at the Seattle Times. I'm Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish, your host of this supposedly weekly podcast that's been stretched to bi-weekly, sometimes monthly, whenever we feel like it podcast. Um, we're back. Uh, it's more than a few hours after the MLB non-waiver trade deadline, and I sat down with Larry Stone from Safeco Field to go over what the Mariners did. They made a handful of trades, acquiring three relievers and an outfielder. Uh, we also talked about the future of Felix Hernandez in the in the starting rotation because that's something that a lot of people have been talking about on social media and other things. So Larry and I kind of go into that a little bit and just the whole psychology behind it and what it takes to actually you know take Felix out of the rotation. I think a lot of people think it's simple. I don't. It's not. Um, so we try and discuss that and go through all the layers of that and just a few other little things. So. Hope you enjoy this week's show. Also, I'm going to post the audio of Scott Service and Jerry DePoto talking about some of the stuff that's going on. DePoto met with the media today talking about, well, I guess not today because I'm recording this at night, but earlier on the day uh, talking about the trades he made and also Felix. So I'm going to include the DePoto audio for certain, and then we'll have me and Larry. Uh, so hopefully you enjoy it. And we'll talk to you. Scott Service talking to the media on Tuesday before the game, and then Jerry DePoto meeting with the media uh, shortly after that. So those two audio clips were right in a row. Cameron Maven. Nice yeah, we've uh, picked up another player. So it's been <laughs> busy, busy few days. Crazy how many players have switched teams here uh, just today alone. But uh, yeah, Cam Maven uh, will join us here. He'll probably be in town tomorrow. Uh, you know, I haven't talked to Cam, I know Jerry has, and he's excited to uh, get a part of things here, and uh, we're glad to have him. Obviously, he's got uh, a lot of experience. Uh, he went to the World Series last year with the Astros, and they picked him up late, so we've certainly seen him uh, throughout the years and kind of how he's evolved as a player, but I think it's a good fit for us. Obviously, he's played center field predominantly in his career, and, you know, pretty good defender. Um, he's been hot of late. He's had the last you know, month or so, he's honed about very well, so we'll see what we got. Does he become the everyday center fielder? Or do you platoon inside? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll take a look at matchups, kind of like we've done here in the past. But uh, he'll he'll play a lot. So there's no question. The reason you go out and get players is let help make impact on the ball club. So he'll get every opportunity to do that. Scott, when you look at all the moves you've made over the last few days as a whole, how much do you think you've helped the team? I think we've done. You know, I think we've helped the team a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like every manager out there wants more pieces in the bullpen, certainly, as you get going in games here in August uh, and September and workloads start to mount up on starting pitchers. You have a tendency to go to the bullpen a little bit earlier. You want guys that, you know, have got experience uh, or have stuff or a combination. Um, I think we've done some nice things. I uh, really am with, you know, we didn't have, you know, uh, we gave up, you know, a few players, but um, I, I think you know, our front office guys did a great job. Guillermo's played well defensively. Start a little at the plate for the last two months, probably. Expecting Maven to kind of give you a boost there. You hope so. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, Guillermo has uh, <laughs> done a really nice job. Um, you know, when the whole Cano thing went down, we put D back in. You know, it was going to opportunity for some guys to step up and, and uh, done an outstanding job in the outfield. You know, the bat some days been better than others, uh, but you know, Maven's got more experience, and like I said, he'll get a chance to play. We'll look at you know back and forth. G will still play some center field. He'll play some left field. He'll still be a part of things, and we'll see what happens. Can can Maven play either corner spot, or is, or would you be more apt to put Guillermo out there in the corners? Uh, you know, Guillermo's an unbelievable left fielder. You guys have seen him over there. He's done a really nice job in center field too. So it's more about comfort factor, I think, for both guys and, and kind of how it works together. You know, Denard Span, Hanniger, still a big part of things. You know, Gamble be you know uh, used sparingly, but that's just how we see it. You saw what happened when you brought Vogel back in with Healy at first, and it seemed like it got his back going. Is that something that could possibly happen with Guillermo when you bring in a center fielder? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't. You, know, you guys read more into that than I do. Uh, but again, we're just trying to make the team better, uh, give us more options in the bullpen, get the lineup a little bit you know, longer, a little bit deeper. And I think yeah, every team's just trying to get a little bit better. I think we got a lot better. For us to move today uh, for you. What yeah. 
Yeah, Rowan is uh, crazy uh, over in uh, Anaheim the other day. Just the, you know, the tubing they have, they're using the, the weight room, whatever, getting loose. The tricep thing on it, whatever, felt something in the back, didn't bother him throwing at all. Uh, but when he came in the next day, a little bit sore, he, he got looked at. So he's, he's going to go to the DL. He's got a, a minor. He had a, an MRI today. It's, it's a grade one mild strain of his tricep. It's um, probably going to be no throw for seven to eight days and you know, get after it after that. So uh, freak uh, deal. But uh, he was not available last night. And you know, after getting looked at today, it's about best to give him some time down. Does it change the arms that you have? I know you've got plenty of bullpen pieces coming up, but he has a different role and, and can also potentially give you a start if needed. Yeah, you know, he was versatile. Um, and he could start, he did for us here uh, the other day. But uh, uh, I think, you know, bullpen wise and, and how we're structured, you know, Zach Duke comes in, uh, he's on the card, he'll be available tonight. Um, you know, he's not a length guy per se, he's more you know, get the lefties out. But I think we have enough guys down there to go multiple innings here as we keep moving along. Bradford can do that. Uh, Tui can do that. Um, you know, Warren's probably going to be added to our, our club tomorrow. He has multiple inning capabilities. So it's not like you need to have that one long guy uh, in the bullpen. Um, so that's the way we'll roll here going forward. With the pieces you have in the bullpen, does that make it down the road here where you might play them a little differently and that you bring in your starter earlier than you normally would because you have these pieces in the bullpen? Do you trust them? Uh, it could, you know, depending on how things are playing out, uh, how guys are throwing. Again, as the innings mount here, as you get deeper in the year, sometimes you're going to watch pitch counts or innings limits. Kind of, you keep a little bit closer attention to it. We certainly got guys that are reaching career highs at that level, so could allow you to, to, to be a little bit more uh, creative or go to the bullpen a little bit earlier than past. But again, you kind of take it day to day and kind of look at where guys are at and watching the game as it plays out. But we certainly got options down there. So when, when Erasmo does come back, he's out of options. Could you guys go to a six-man rotation to, to space out some of those guys? We have twenty, I think twenty-some games in twenty days. I mean, is that a possibility? You know, because you can adjust a little bit. We could yeah, we could. I think we'll worry about that when we get to that. When point. he gets to that point, yeah. Erasmo pitches uh, rehab tonight uh, in Double A. Um, he's trying to get stretched out four or five innings tonight and see where we go from there. For most of his career, Felix wasn't just good. He was Yeah, it's, it's been tough for him, and, and uh, you know, last start wasn't good. You know, and he was first to admit, you know, wasn't happy with it. Um, you know, he will pitch for us on Thursday night. We'll see what happens from there. But uh, you know, uh, I hope he gets it turned around. We certainly need him. He wants to be a part of this. There's no question about that. But you got to go out and do it. You know, it's the do good league, and he's been a big part of this league for a long time because he's done very well. But uh, you know, he'll pitch Thursday night, and hopefully, has a good one. You see the same guy in the clubhouse as you've seen. Since he got here, is there, is there any change in his, his demeanor or anything like that? Well, he, he, he knows he's not performing at a, a rate that, to help the team, so it's, it's bothering him a little bit. Uh, you see that with a lot of players. They're not playing up to, you know, in their minds, their capabilities and, and whatnot. So uh, he's handling it. Uh, you know, he's, he's down. He wants to turn it around. You know, why wouldn't he? The decision to pitch him on Thursday, what went into that? I mean, What went into the decision? Uh, we stay with the rotation you know, mm -hmm. where we're at. I think uh, uh, you know he needs to perform better. He'll get another shot Thursday night. You expect to see your uh, back tomorrow at this point, or? Yeah, I don't know. I, I texted with Kyle today. Uh, you know, they. I think it's per the uh, you know player association, the paternity leave. I think you get there's three days that you can play with the roster. So uh, Kyle could be back tomorrow. He may not be back till Thursday. Night. <coughs> not sure yet. Uh, you know, we're excited to get Cam A experience, the energy he brings. It gives us another athlete runner who who adds to the way we play, you know, and, and can start pushing the envelope a little bit. It, over this last month or so, he's he's been in a really good place offensively. He's played a really strong center field this year, and we know he's multi-position capable. 
he fits into the theme of what we're doing and I think adds better balance to our club. So, And, and the experience of, of a guy who's been through it for as long as Cam has, it doesn't hurt. Jerry, Guillermo's done everything you asked, but again, you know, it's about 100 points difference in on-base percentage and just what you're going to put out there with Cam. Well, I, you know, I think that's the thing with Cam is that he does, he has, he has a pretty good history of getting on base. He works counts. Uh, he does make a little, a, an impact on the bases. And, and I don't think that renders Guillermo uh, moot on our roster. He's a, he's a good player. But we've asked Guillermo to do something outside of his skill set, and, and Cam can help that and maybe, get, maybe put Guillermo back in a position to where he can impact the game in the ways he was doing before we asked him to play every day. And, you know, we've, we've got about 30 days to, to play in August and, and figure out how we're going to manage the different pieces until obviously we get to the rosters expanding in September. Uh, he's having an above-average season defensively. He's a, uh, what Cam has always been is an above-average center fielder who is lesser on the corners, believe it or not. He's a, kind of the unique player who has excelled when given the opportunity to move in center field and when you narrow him down in the corners. He's a long-legged guy. He covers a lot of ground out there. He's, he's always thrown very well, and the defensive metrics this year come back on him strongly. And he's playing more center field this year than he has in recent years. So I, th I think that, that probably helps him a good deal, too. Jerry, as a team struggles for offense here and there, how do you weigh the offense versus the defense when you're looking at who you want out there? Well, I think it's, it depends on who's pitching, whether they're more fly ball oriented or ground ball oriented. And I think as a general rule for us, you see over these last couple of weeks as we've struggled to score runs, that there have been more instances where we've lined up a, a more offensive outfield to, to do that. And I think as, a, as it pertains to Cam, he brings a little of both of those things because he does get on base. He can play the offensive game, especially as, as well as he's going right now. And he still gives you that, that defensive positivity as well. So really happy to grab him. But the day-to-day, -day, how they line up, that's up to Scott and staff. What was the theory like in the last couple of hours? Were you seeing some of that? Were you guys still it was like Tuesday for us. Yeah, <laughs> were you still trying to work something as it got close? Yeah, I mean, my, I think I got my first phone call this morning. I got my first uh, my first text message with the ding at about 5.50. Uh, and uh, with the apology, sorry for hitting you so early in the West, but it's, uh, it is trade deadline day. And, you know, the guys were, were on tap early. I know the, the guys were in the office in the 7 o'clock hour, which is pretty early by our standards. And uh, a lot going on. There were many things that we considered. We probably talked about more deals that we didn't do than, than obviously deals that we did. But as I said to, to Kevin and to John as, as we were going through this, We'll spend hours and hours, hopefully, to get to the right deals. And for us, those deals were about adding to, to the role players that we have on our club. And, and it started back in, with the acquisitions in May of Colome and, and Span, and obviously Tui and, and Duke and Warren and now Cam Maben. They all bring something to this team that lends balance. They're, they all bring a different function than maybe what we had before. And as importantly, it added needed depth because we still have, you know, 60 days or so to play and a lot can happen and we feel better fortified now because of these moves. When did you first talk with them? Uh, Ten days, two weeks ago was probably the, the first time we touched base with them on camp. And I, we've we touched base with 30, uh, 29 other clubs and and we talked about a lot of players. And Cam was one of those we talked about with the Marlins. He's the one that we, we had the most traction with. And, and it took until the end to, to make the deal. But we, we had been in contact with him pretty steadily for the last two weeks. Was starting pitching lower down on your priority list, or was it just not a match to be made? Uh, I think both of those. Yeah. Because realistically, we were looking for ways we could get better mm -hmm. than what was available with the market. And, you know, we thought that there were ways for us to get better in the bullpen. There were ways for us to get deeper in the pen. Adding Cam was we wanted to find that one more, you know, position player element. We didn't think there were a lot of ways we were going to improve on the infield. And, it, frankly, our corner outfield we're, we're quite happy with in both spots. You know, Span's been great since he joined us. Mitch has been an all-star. This was the one place we thought we could really goose the club. And, and adding depth in that bullpen. I, I think, as you probably saw, the starting pitchers who did go either went for a price that maybe we couldn't afford, you know, in player capital, uh, and or we just didn't think that they made as big a difference for us as, as lengthening that bullpen. I mean, look at the bullpen. Is it, uh, 
Cameron made from the deal out of that what you did with the Braves trade earlier. Do you feel like there's a team you mold this around, like a previous playoff team in your past that maybe you feel like this is comparable to that you try to mold them around? Not really. Uh, I, I think this is just a, this is th- this is how our team has been built all year. These are just the newest layers, and you know we are now maybe more situationally capable in our bullpen. It's an eight-man group. Uh, they've all had a lot of major league success. You know, for the most part, they're all having good to excellent years. And in the case of Eddie Diaz, a phenomenal year. I think that that bullpen is now really a strength of ours and much deeper than it was. We, it's the same song I've been singing for three years now, the, the athleticism in the outfield, the ability to do some things on the bases. We may have strayed a little from that in the course of the last couple of months due to the fact that we were having to play guys a lot more than maybe they were originally intended to play. So Cam gives us another layer of depth and impact there. So it was just, it was just trying to fortify again and protect in the event of injury. We feel like there are now there's something in back of just about everywhere. You know, we'd like to find ways to beef up in August. That's been a part of our history as well, and we'll keep our our eye on it this, over these next 30 days as well. I think folks look for the big splashy trade, but I mean, I think Denard's fan probably a good example of how somebody can impact the lineup and impact the roster without the big obvious flash at you. The fit is as big as anything, I would imagine. I think that's right. And, and we were looking for fit the whole time. And, you know, Denard's thrown up about an 800 OPS since we got him. I, he's, he's probably been as consistent as any offensive player we've had in the last month, for sure. And generally since he got here. He gives you such a good at bat. Colome has been exactly what we thought Alex would be. He had a little moment there where he teetered when we were on the East Coast, but otherwise he's been terrific. And uh, I, I could say the same. We haven't seen Tui yet. Adam Warren is having an outstanding year. Zach Duke is doing Zach Duke things, get, getting the lefties out, and he's versatile and creative. And Cam Maven is having a Cam Maven year. He's playing good defense. He's he's on base, over league average, and, and he gives you a little bit of, of that sneaky power and stolen base element. So I, we're, we're excited about the way this team has come together. We were more consumed with the roles. And like I said to you all, we were also – conscious of what we were adding to our clubhouse you know i i don't know that that we could have known more about the players that we acquired than cam and adam and two like these are quality people who fit in our clubhouse and and adam warren i i heard anything from best guy i've ever met which is a strong statement to uh you know on a scale of 20 to 80 90 human being and and to cam maven when i got off the phone i felt like going to play because he energized me he was so excited about it so I think we're adding the right people to our clubhouse. That was a big part of what we were doing. And we really didn't want to like throw a big rock in the water. We wanted to help this team move to the next stage, and hopefully these guys do that. Even with the upgrades, how much important is on Felix to kind of step up to solidify that routine? Really important, you know, and, and to that extent, obviously on Thursday, hopefully we get beyond, you know, where he's been. Uh, particularly this last start, we need him to, to do those things. And uh, the Mariners have relied on Felix for a lot of years to take the ball. We're going to rely on him again on Thursday, and you know, and we're going to take it day by day and just see where we are as a as a team. And now with the depth that we have in the bullpen, hopefully we can we can piece it together. And if Felix gives us a good one, we're going to be a better team. If he doesn't, we're going to have to recover and, and find another way to to answer those innings. But we're just going to take it. Every time through the rotation, we're going to reassess where we are. But couldn't have done much better. You're looking pretty heavily on Thursday for Felix's future. Every day. Every day. Every time he takes them out, it means a lot. But we're we're not making any determination beforehand. He he earns the opportunity to to take the ball, and he has earned that. Does does Felix being Felix have anything to play into Anything the decision you guys make, whether it's just track no, there's a, we're at, at the end of the day, we are here to win the games, and and I think that is obviously by, by the fact that we are making these moves, we believe that we are we we know we're in this. It's we're doing our best to 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 maintain our position, and we're going to be conscious of the wins. What's that? How, how much are you looking forward to like a Nelson Cruz style now? Uh, and I slept pretty good last night. You know, I, not so much for the, the three or four nights prior, but I'll be okay. You picked Erasmo this time last year. You still have to listen to people Absolutely. Erasmo has actually thrown the ball in very well on his, uh, on his rehab. He's been up to 94 miles an hour. We're seeing the velocity that we saw last year when we picked him up as opposed to what we saw this year. When he, was, when he came back and 
to his credit, he was trying, but he was pitching without being 100% healthy. And uh, he is, I believe, back to full health. He'll pitch in Arkansas tonight. And tonight should be a four-inning outing and give us a better gauge. We feel like we're perhaps ready to go with him or one, one more start in the minor leagues. But you know, you'll see Erasmo before long, and he, I do feel like he's going to, to help our staff. Jerry, with like 20 out of 20 games on the straight, and you guys are starting to rack up innings, could you bump him in and go five and a half starters in that way? Would you just put him as a long guy? Obviously, Felix is out there. How does he fit? Because he doesn't have options. Erasmo? Yeah. Uh, again, it's going to be it's going to be relative to what happens in the moment. So many things can happen in the next five days, mm-hmm. you know, from him, him entering a five man starting rotation to stretching it out to a six man rotation to going into the bullpen bullpen as a long guy. It helps that he is versatile. But as a general rule, whether we saw it today, you know, Rowena Elias going down with an injury, anything can happen. We just feel like we're deeper and more prepared now. To, to handle whatever comes next, there, there's a place for Erasmo on this team, and he's going to help us. So, like, you know, trying to pencil out all the probabilities, you just kind of have to it out. Oh, my yeah, gosh, yeah. It's a, I would drive myself mad if I tried to do that. We, we, we know who's we, – we generally know what we want to do in terms of mapping out the month of August in the starting rotation. And the off days in there make it less – likely that we'll go with a true six-man rotation for very long. We may try to take opportunity to bump some people back toward the tail end of the month. Hopefully we can get to the point where we have games where we have a more comfortable lead and can start shortening outings because we do have a deeper bullpen that can absorb some of those innings. What's the key to making an August trade like you did with Lee? Is there a different dynamic at play once it gets past the trade deadline? Well, two things. One, either the player has to clear waivers or you had to have been the team that claimed him. So, you know, in, in some cases, well, I would say in most cases, players who have guaranteed contracts of some substance don't ordinarily get claimed, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and then you're able to talk about that person. Uh, or in some cases, like a Ben Gamble, you know, we, we, we win the claim on a young player and then we're able to put together a trade at the right time. I, like with so many other things we do, we are, we are as active as any team, I would say more active than on the, the August waiver wire. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we will monitor it. We'll have six or eight people watching the names come through on a daily basis, making recommendations. We'll talk through what makes sense for us. You also have to, to be careful. Each day you get to place claims. And when you're making those claims, you have to be careful because you could, in theory, get all those players. You could just be awarded those players. So uh, you have to be able to fit what you're claiming, just in case. I, I've learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember the Randy Myers case, man. Oh, I remember it well. I I also remember, and this is a little quick story, but in 2007 when I was with the Diamondbacks and we were in a Mm -hmm. a similar situation, we were going to win the National League West, and on August trade waivers in one day we placed claims on Young Young Kim, Joe Kennedy, and Jeff Cirillo, who were role players Mm -hmm. at the time, and and in some cases we were just attempting to block those players from going elsewhere, and we were awarded all three. (laughs) Uh, And and it was some very uncomfortable conversations with with big league players, and in Mm -hmm. one of the cases we just were awarded the player and then released them, which is uh, not good business. We're back. We haven't done one of these in a while. Larry and I are sitting uh, very close to each other because we're using my phone to record this. Larry, uh, do you have onions for lunch? Or <laughs> You'll find out. Yeah. You're about to find out. Um, okay. It's been a crazy couple days uh, for me because of the trade deadline. Larry's here. Uh, he's trying to also watch his kid play baseball, all that good stuff. Um, so... It is the trade deadline day. It's coming past. Uh, the Mariners have made how many acquisitions? Three? Uh, four. Four. Three, four. Three relievers and an outfielder. Okay, so they on Friday added Sam Tui Bailala, I think is how Very you say good. Um, from the Cardinals, right-handed guy, specializes in getting right-handers out, under club control for next two years, but also out of minor league options. Um, then on what, what day is it? Tuesday? Oh, Monday they added Zach Duke, lefty, veteran guy that's also kind of a specialist, and then right-hander Adam Warren, 
from the Yankees, more of a setup guy. And then today they added Cameron Mabin, uh, outfielder, veteran guy. We've seen him before. He was with the Angels and the Astros last year to play center field. Go, Larry. What do you got? <laughs> well, I think first you got you also have to kind of include Denard Spann and Alex Colomay into this, too. They Actually, and you could include uh, Roanis Elias because he was traded as well. Yeah, you're right. People forget that he was out of the organization and then came back. But, I mean, they jumped at the trade deadline by a good month and a half, and we noted it at the time. Uh, but, I, you know, when people are saying, oh, they didn't do enough, you have to throw in the fact that they got their eighth inning guy and their starting, starting left. left fielder uh, before, I mean, <laughs> early enough that they got an extra couple of months out of them. So, uh, um you know, they, they, none of the moves they made in the last couple of days were splashy moves. They're sort of incremental improvement. But sometimes that's what – those are the best ones. I mean, we've seen big, splashy trade deadline moves, moves that just really don't work out. You never know which is the one that's going to click and really help a team. You know, uh, Marco Scudero hitting 370 for the Giants in two months. Nobody thought that was the move that was going to put them in the, in the, in the World Series, but it did. Um, I think they, their bullpen got better. They needed to do that. They needed to pump up their offense in center field. Um, they did that. They did not address their starting rotation. Um, so, I mean, that uh, they, they, I think it came down to the fact that they really didn't have the prospects to go out and get someone like a Chris Archer. And uh, they could make a trade in August like they did last year with Leak. Uh, there'll be guys out there of that ilk. So uh, they're putting a lot of uh, uh, pressure, I guess you could say, on Felix to kind of turn things around because if he doesn't and they have to fill that spot, they've got Erasmo Ramirez, but he's coming off a long injury rehab, so you don't know exactly how he's going to be. Um, and uh, so that's one thing they didn't do, but I think they feel good about what they did do. Used ilk. That was a good one. Good way to work in ilk. Elk, an ilk for elk. Um, like, yeah, we can go through them kind of quickly. Um, Tuivalala is, you know, he throws 95, 96. We haven't seen him yet, actually. They haven't needed him. Um, but, you know, he, you see with the with these teams that they're going to play, and they, they don't they play a ton of games against their divisional opponents. If you look at the rosters of, of the – the Astros now it's not as bad right now because Altuve and Correa are on the bench but the Astros the Angels and even the A's, there's pockets of really good right-handed hitters and you a lot of times run into a starter maybe he's facing a guy for the third time and you want to have that right-handed guy in maybe the sixth inning to go in and face Chris Davis of the Oakland A's or or if you want to face Trout if, or something like that if you want to play matchups earlier in a game they didn't have the guy to do that I mean they were looking at Nick Vincent or uh, uh, you know, I guess Chase and Bradford is a little bit of that guy, but um, Tuivalala has got a little bit more stuff. There's just a lot of really good right-handed hitters that they're going to face coming up. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing, too, how much bullpens are built on the run. I mean, uh, <laughs> there's four new guys uh, since the season started when you count Colomay and then these, these three uh, completely remade. Um, and this know, was out of need because it was yeah. pretty fickle. I mean, you, you had Phelps get hurt. Benson hasn't been great. Nicasio has not been what they thought he no. was at all. I mean, that's been huge for them. They've been chasing that eighth inning and uh, seventh inning. I think they thought they had the, the perfect setup with Nicasio the eighth and Colome the seventh or vice versa, but it just didn't work out that way. And now we'll see who. I mean, Colome has really locked down that eighth inning. He's been great. Um, it's always a bit of an adventure. He allows one runner at all times. He's <laughs> look his his hero growing up is Fernando Rodney, and I, I'm getting some bad deja vu at times. Yeah, well, you know, it's not not everybody is uh, is like Edwin Diaz and get mostly one, two, three innings. It's uh, um, you know, it's hard it's hard to be perfect. But if you can get out of it, I guess that's all that matters, and that's what he's done. So Zach Duke is a left-hander who throws from kind of multiple arm angles, sidearm. He sinks it. He cuts it. Basically, he's like a little bit younger version of Mark Zepchinski with an easier name to spell. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it, you know, this is the role that Zepchinski was supposed yeah. to have, and, and he flamed out. And also, Zepchinski's back in the organization, signed a minor league deal, and he's in Tacoma. But this is what that guy is. I mean, he's just kind of a situational lefty. Again, if you're in the sixth inning and, and you're playing, um, 
the A's and the one first baseman, Matt Olson's coming up and you want a lefty to face mm -hmm. him and you've got somebody else on the mound, that's who you go to and have him face it there. You still have Pazos. You can still use him later with his velocity. But this guy is a guy that uses more sliders and, and off-speed stuff to get guys out. Yeah, and, you know, you need you need one of those guys. They, they have they thought Zepp was that guy, and he, and he wasn't. And, uh, you know, you go back to Charlie Furbush, who, who uh, threw out his arm a couple of years ago. Uh, they, they've been kind of chasing that. And uh, uh, Duke has done it, and he's done it in uh, – believe he's done it in contending situations and yeah. postseason post and all that uh, I had almost forgotten that uh, Cameron Mabin spent uh, the last month he was picked up on August 31st last year by the Astros and was in the World Series yeah. and was actually on the field playing center field in game seven when they won it so uh, you know he's he's a well-traveled guy who uh, is a has a reputation as a great clubhouse guy and a high energy guy who um you know, that Depo, we were just talking to Depoto and he raved about all three uh, of the guys, the, the most recent acquisitions, of what great guys they were. Um, so they're not Roberto Azuna, is that what you're telling <laughs> exactly. me? Exactly. Uh, I don't think that that wasn't part of why he said it, too, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, no. He said that uh, Warren, he was told that on, on the scouting scale of 20 to 80, that Warren is a 90 human being. So. Um, that's what we often say about Ryan. Yes, yes, 90 <laughs> personality. Um, no, it, Warren, if you think about it, Warren kind of goes into the role that David Phelps was supposed to have, mm -hmm. you know, and and, and I, I don't know how they're going to make this work. They're, they're in some roster crunch. Only Chase and Bradford has minor league options out of that group, really. Um, but I do think that they they might even think of looking at DFAing Nick Vincent, though I think he would get claimed automatically. But that's kind of where they're at. Um, maybe – they they had they couldn't keep running Guillermo Heredia out there anymore. It was it was it was I felt bad watching the guy. He's he's hitting one eighty with a two thirty on base percentage since June first. Yeah, I mean he brings a great glove, but at some point with the way that the offense has been struggling, you know I kind of thought I can't remember if we talked about this in another podcast. I know we've talked about it uh, in uh, casually, but I kind of thought that that the solution was to put Gordon back out in, in center mm -hmm. field. I know they've been adamant that. Cano, uh, that Gordon's going to play second because he's uh, Cano can't be in the postseason. But to me, uh, if you leave Gordon at second and you play Cano every day, like they're saying, that you're, at some point you're taking um, Healy's bat out of the lineup or Cruz's bat out of the lineup. And I thought a, a compromise would be to put Gordon back in center a lot of days, and then you're not taking any of those bats out of the lineup. But now I, they're still going to have to find a way to squeeze Cano in there and. Uh, it's good. If he's playing first base, it's going to be at the expense of Healy. So, I mean, I'm sure they'll do. There'll be a lot of juggling, and I'm sure Gordon will play some center field for sure. But uh, I would think they'll they'll you know take a look at. It. I I do wonder what they're going to do going forward. If if they're going to look at Cano as your first baseman and Gordon as your second baseman, or if they're going to reconvert D to the outfield again next year. Um, you know, I think it's been shown. And they've said this before, and we kind of said it even when Heredia was going well when Cano got hurt, that he's not an everyday guy, that he gets exposed a little bit. Um, the bat just doesn't play up. You know, nicest guy in the world, lots of energy. You love to have him on the team, but it just doesn't fit right now with what they're doing. And, you know, I don't – it's not like a, a huge impact bat like Cameron Maben, but his on-base percentage is 100 and some points higher. And, and that's that's all the Mariners want is just somebody gets on base in the bottom of that order. And he's not a bad defensive outfielder. No. I mean, there was a time when he was a prime uh, blue-chip prospect. He was a first-round pick. He was part of the trade. Uh, the Tigers picked him. They traded Andrew him. Miller. Uh, yeah, they traded him to the, to the Marlins for uh, Cabrera. I yeah. mean, he was the centerpiece of the Cabrera trade. Um, so that's how highly regarded. His career has not lived up to that, but it's been a solid career. He's had some moments. He had one really good year. Uh, I believe it was back with Detroit. Yeah. Um, he's, he's been around. But uh, uh, you're right. Uh, they, need to, they need a guy who can get on base. And um, he's also been hot, I think, if you look over. His overall numbers are not that great, but over the last four to six weeks, I think, He's been picking it up a little bit. I mean, he's the guy that always gets traded in that situation. You know it's going to happen. Um, 
what uh, I was going to ask now, now you made me forget. You got me all like um, <laughs> yeah. you referenced. Well, like Maben is a better base runner as well than Heredia. Heredia doesn't steal bases. Not you know he can run the bases okay, but he's not very good at stealing bases. Maben can steal a bag. Uh, so you know, and Heredia will be back. I think he's going to get sent down. I guess maybe Gamble could get sent down too. One of those two guys are going to get sent down to Tacoma. But whoever does is going to be back on September 1st when rosters expand. And he, Jerry DePoto mentioned that, that they're just going to pl- kind of play out this next month, see what they have, and then when rosters expand, they can do something completely different. I mean, the, the baseball changes completely then. Yeah, you know, I never even considered the thought that Gamble would be sent down. I don't think it, it will be. I don't think so either. But he did. But he was talking service. We talked to service today in his office, and he was talking about – Heredia and his new role as if he was going to be here. And then he did make kind of offhand a comment that Gamble was now going to play. I think he used the word minimally or something yeah. like that. So uh, I, th- I think uh, Gamble's been playing pretty well. But I guess if you want – if a guy's not going to be playing much, I guess you want the guy who's the better defensive player who can come into the game as a defensive replacement. Um, so I, I guess we'll find out. Uh, tomorrow when Mabin gets here. We'll find out what they do with uh, also when Warren gets here. I imagine Jason Bradford would be the guy, right? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, so. they found Elias, uh, <laughs> they found a way out of that dilemma by uh, Elias going on the DL today. And, uh, you know, sometimes injuries can <laughs> miraculously crop up. Yeah. Although this is a legitimate injury. Injury. Uh, I think he, he, uh, he was iced up, so. Yeah. Um, you know, we're gonna. I'm going to post the audio from us talking to Depoto before you hear this. So we're gonna reference some stuff, but you'll have already heard it, I guess, if you listen all the way through. Um, Depoto talked about the the broccoli. trade. He talked a lot. Well, about broccoli, Rob. Yeah, yeah let's not. This ain't the wheelhouse. Thankfully, <laughs> we're much cooler than that. Um, he did talk about the starting pitching market. I know Larry just referenced it, um, being you know that they looked at it and some of the guys they liked. Uh, the, the prospect capital, as he likes to say, was too much, meaning they wanted too many of their prospects. And the Mariners don't have many. You know, I talked to somebody who said that they were going after um, Julio Rodriguez, the young phenom in, in the Dominican Republic, it was one of the, like, the top guy that a lot of guys want. Uh, and they weren't willing to give him up. Um, and then he also mentioned that some of the other guys available, some of the names that people know, that they just didn't feel like they were any sick but that much better than a Rosmo Ramirez or Felix or whoever they have uh, where you get the value plus giving up something to get them. Yeah. I mean, I think that the ideal kind of guy for them would have been maybe a Hamels where it's more money than anything else. But, I mean, Hamels hasn't been that good No, this and year. they actually gave up real prospects yeah. to get him. I and, mean, Yeah. And then you look at Chris Archer. The Pirates gave up a – you know, when you look at what Chris Archer uh, garnered from the Pirates – to Tampa Bay, you realize how uh, much of a pipe dream it was for the Mariners to, to be in that. Yeah, I mean, they got Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows, two of, their, two of the top 20 prospects in all of baseball. And then if you're the Mariners, you're trying to put together a package with, like, Kyle Lewis and Matt Festa and guys that aren't, you know, even in top 100. So it's, yeah, it was very striking. And I, I do think in, supposedly there's another player that's actually pretty well known. I think it's pretty striking when you see that. And even, like, the Jay Happ thing. Jay Happ went for, like, Brandon Drew. He's a nice big league player yeah. and some another decent prospect. Um, you know, the, it shows that the Mariners don't have mid-level prospects. Look, their, their top five guys, Kyle Lewis, Evan White, uh, Logan Gilbert, who they just drafted, Julio Rodriguez. I don't even know who the number five is. I guess Bishop is the number five. Yeah. But, I mean, that – those guys are kind of legit. It's everything after that. It's like mm-hmm. the guy Bryson Brigman that they gave up today. He's kind of a short stocky. You know, I like the short stocky <laughs> guys. We got to hang out, but he, you know, he's not. He's number nineteen in the Mariners' top thirty. He's not probably even appearing in the top thirty. Of some of these guys. It was very noticeable. Seth Elledge, who the Mariners traded for Sam Tuivalala. He was a reliever. He was number ten in both Baseball America and then the MLB Pipeline top thirty. Elledge was 10 when he went to the Cardinals, yeah. rated as 21. Right. So that kind of speaks to where you're at, where they're at depth-wise. They don't have these mid-level prospects to pull off some of these trades. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, I mean, I will give them credit is that they they do make trades. I know, and they, they still they do. Come, they, I mean, they have the prospects that, you know, that, that other teams want. Maybe, maybe – 
you would respond, well, they're not getting the top-tier guys, they're getting the second-tier guys. And I think there's, you, you can't say that Zach Duke and tu, Tui are... You can't say, just call him Tui. Tui and uh, Chris Warren are not first-tier guys. That doesn't mean that they won't help the team a lot, but they're, they're not going to be the kind of guys that uh, fans are going to say, whoa, you, are you kidding? We got Chris Warren? Yeah, it's or Adam, Chris, Warren. Oh, Adam Warren. I'm thinking and the running back. I'm going I'm flashing back to my year covering the Seahawks. Yeah. Um, no, they're they're guys, but they're they're guys that are better than the guys they had in there. Yeah, right, and that's what you need at this at this stage. And you also look at the division and the teams you're chasing. Uh, yes, the A's got Familia, but they didn't add anybody. But else. But they didn't add anybody else, which which really stunned me. As aggressive as Billy Bean and company usually are at this time, and then I think you can arguably say that the Astros may have. Uh, mess things up with Osuna and the bad will, ill will, and all the questions about him and his suspension and, uh, you know, legitimate questions. So we'll see what that does for the chemistry of, of that team. I mean, they did need a closer, and they they got one, but this the guy hasn't pitched all year either, right? I mean... No. Uh, he he was suspe- or he was arrested the day that the Mariners were in there. I think it was the day that Paxton threw the no-hitter. Oh. So we yeah. were there when he was arrested. There's rumors that there's a video of the assault that's going to change. That you know, the optics of that could definitely change that if that comes out. Yeah, uh, Jeff Passan wrote a really strong column today ripping the Astros for signing him and he alluded to the fact that you know, the, the word is that the the details of this are, are horrific. So um, you know, it's the kind of move you don't I don't think you want your team to make. Uh, yeah. You know, so that's a whole nother discussion. But uh, uh, the point being that relative to the teams in their division, I don't think there's anyone who did something where you say, oh, man, the Mariners aren't going to recover from that. I guess the I guess to a certain extent, you are also chasing the Yankees. Uh, you know, I think there was a thought that if they got hot, they they, they actually might have a shot to make the first wild card. Uh, and the Yankees most definitely got better with uh, Zach Britton, J.A. Happ, and uh, did they make another move? Yeah, they just keep making. Them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lance Lynn. And Lan- I don't think he's yeah. very good. No, that that that's that. The quite- Mariners technically are only three games behind the Astros. In the I know it. Not, that's pretty not crazy. Technically, they're yeah, well, actually they're actually three, yeah. three games. <laughs> not metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. They're literally. You look at the standings, you see a three. Yeah. And so I guess technically they are three yeah. games behind. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I mean, if they somehow take these two and they're getting them at the right time with Altuve and Correa on the DL you that's when good teams have to kind of pounce on that weakness and certainly other teams have taken advantage of the Mariners in the past when they had guys missing and so if the Mariners can steal a couple of wins here and sweep this series then not only does it pull them within one but it kind of uh, erases that bad feeling and the ominous vibe of the last couple of weeks like oh here it comes they're falling apart we knew it was going to happen you sweep the astros and here we're getting way ahead of yourself <laughs> they won one game yeah. but yeah i'm just saying hypothetically then uh, i think it, it the whole mood kind of changes and it gets back to what it was in their uh, their heyday here this year when when things were flying so high hypothetically if i met anna kendrick we would end <laughs> up falling in love and then i would be a much happier person <laughs> technically that's not going to happen <laughs> Hypothetically, <laughs> um, you mentioned the last few weeks. Any thoughts? I'll go all Dutton. Thoughts? Thoughts? Uh, well, I, I, you know, I think they were they were bound to have a stretch like that. You you kind of felt that those one run games were going to catch up to them and were unsustainable, and the run differential, you know, was screaming that it was going to come back down to earth. But really, it came down to the fact that the bats went cold. They all went cold together. Cruz had a bad month. Hanniger had a bad month. Segura had Segura a bad month. All three All-Stars. Yeah. And it, it started actually before the All-Star break, so you can't blame the All-Star <laughs> break on it. It started before. It started on July 1st. I mean, they were getting f- four or five hits a game. Even last night, they won with four hits. Um, you know, they're winning a lot of low-scoring games, and they started to lose a lot of low-scoring games. Um, their on-base percentages are kind of a problem. I was looking at them the other day, and they had like four guys in the lineup under under uh, 300, I think. Uh, they strike out. and yeah. not, They don't strike out horribly, though. There's teams that strike out worse. But if you roll the ball up there, they'll take a hack at it. I mean, you could, you know, 
Yeah. It could be behind him. I think some of those guys would swing anyway. Yeah, I mean, D. Gordon. Healy. Does, D. Gordon does not walk at all. He's like now the, the guy who's giving us these updates on uh, D. Gordon sent me another one. That, oh, yeah. That, that he is now the has the lowest walk percentage in baseball history. He's gotten below the guy that yes. was ahead of him. The guy from the uh, 1919 Black Sox. So there's that. Uh, and uh, Zunino is sitting low. And Healy, Healy doesn't low, walk. And Heredia, when he starts, there's four guys right there. And Segura doesn't walk very often either. No. And, uh, yeah, Segura at least is, has a high on-base percentage because his average is high. But those other guys, uh, not the case. You know, I, they had played – there was a stretch – after Cano, where I think they went twenty-three and seven, um, and it was it seemed impossible, and they they beat up some bad teams, but they went twenty-three and seven, and that's hard to do, even if you're a good team playing bad teams. Um, and then I think since like June fourteenth or whatever, the A's went twenty-seven and seven. Yeah. And during that time, the Mariners went seventeen or sixteen and seventeen or sixteen and sixteen. I mean, they played 500 baseball. They just didn't continue to play 800 baseball while the A's played 800 baseball. That's how they made it up. And then we saw the A's aren't far from infallible. I mean, they went in and got swept by the Rockies in Coors Field, which happened to the Mariners as well. And the the A's are starting in their starting rotation, Trevor Cahill, Edwin Jackson, and Brett Anderson. I mean, it's, you know, people can complain about the Mariners starting pitching, but the A's are kind of doing it the same way. They're relying on the bullpen that Lou Trevino, not Lee Trevino, who throws 100, and Familia, and then, and what's his Trinan, name? Yeah. Blake Trinan, who seems unhittable. Yeah, so, I mean, there you talk about, that's that was the formula that the the Nasty Boy Reds sort of popularized in 1990 with Randy Myers and Norm Charlton and uh, Rob Dibble. You, you make it a... You, you make it a six-inning game, and then you've you've got it in the in the bag. And uh, I mean, the, the, those Reds had better starting pitching, I think, than these these A's do. I mean, that's the one area that they're going to be vulnerable. And I, I thought for sure that they were going to pick up a starter, and and they didn't. But you know, when you, you retreads, basically, like you just mentioned, particularly Edwin Jackson, who's pitched great. I mean, maybe he can maybe he can keep the magic going for another couple of months, but. You know, you know, the Mariners put themselves in a position when they were playing 630 ball where we were all saying, well, if they just played 500 the rest of the way, they're going to win 92, and that should be enough. But, you know, what, what if 92 isn't enough? Yeah, that's, that was and, the fear everybody yeah. talked about going into the season, that, you know, second wild card was going to be harder to attain. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, it, could, it could well go down to the wire. They got a series, their next-to-last series at home, right, with, yeah. with the A's. That could be... Amazing, but they also have seven of their final ten. The Mariners do against the Rangers, who uh, not only are a bad team, but they, selling off but pieces. But selling yeah. off pieces, and uh, so I mean, you just saw what the A's did to the Rangers. The the, the, the Mariners need to, to to do the same thing, and so you know the schedule. Uh, there's pockets of the schedule that aren't favorable to the Mariners, but the very end is favorable. Similar though, the the A's and. Mariners are kind of similar teams, you know, and I mean, the A's don't have the star power like the names, but kind of the way they play and what they rely upon and everything else, they're similar. I think the Mariners have more talent, although Matt Chapman at their base. Yeah, he's spectacular. Yeah, I got man crush on Matt Chapman. (laughs) And Chris Davis is, I mean, he's going to hit 40 homers again and drive in 120. And strike out 200 times. Yeah, that too. Um, Can you explain to our five listeners, maybe more, how a waiver trade works? Uh, a waiver trade, um, once everyone says that the trade deadline is July 31st, and then there's a trade the next day, and people go, wait a second, I thought, it was, I yeah. thought that was the trade deadline. That was the, that's the non-waiver trade deadline. After that, a, a player has to clear waivers, which means the, uh, if you want to trade him, you put him out on waivers, and if he's claimed by the other team, you could pull him back. Yes, revocable trade waivers. Yeah, but if nobody claims him, then that player is free to trade to anybody. If he is claimed, you can work a trade with that team that claims him, or and that's in reverse order of uh, standings. That's how you know if more if there's multiple claims in your league first. Yeah. Uh, So as Jerry was pointing out today, 
you know, a lot of teams play games with if they think that this guy, they, let's say the Mariners think this, the, the A's have a need for a catcher, just hypothetically, and there's a catcher on waivers, and the Mariners don't want to get this guy, they'll they could claim this guy to block him from the A's getting him. The risk of that is. Uh, as Jerry pointed out, you can get stuck with the guy. You could play these games. I mean, there was a very famous incident where the Blue Jays put Randy Myers on uh, waivers. This was in the early, mid-90s. And the, the Braves and the Padres were vying for the division title. This was back when they were both in the AL West. Uh, and the, the Padres were... were um, very fearful that the Braves who needed a closer were going to get Myers, so they claimed him. And the it, the Braves had no desire to get Myers, it turned out, because he was injured. And he had a huge contract of like $25 million or something. And the and the Blue Jays couldn't believe their good luck. They said, okay, he's yours, you got him. Yeah. So the Padres ended up with Randy Myers, who they didn't want, who they were just blocking. So And he told the story about how... Uh, uh, who was he with when he did that? Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks, yeah. <laughs> Jeff Cirillo being one of them. Yeah, they claimed three guys in a strategic claim like that because they wanted to keep him from going to another team. And they ended up with all three, and they didn't want him. It was Cirillo. It was, uh, oh, boy, he mentioned who they were, and now I can't remember. Um, oh, I don't remember. But uh, he was pointing out that there's a risk involved in the blocking game. But the, the point is that usually guys who have huge contracts – are the ones who pass through waivers because no one wants to, um, no one wants to risk getting their contract. So if you have a, uh, another thing teams will do is they'll put virtually the whole team on waivers. Yeah. Uh, I mean the Mariners will put, um, you know, in the Ken Griffey Jr. in his heyday on waivers just because the the more guys that are out there you. You, f- you confuse teams about who it is you're really trying to get through. So, of course, if Griffey in those days was claimed, you just pull back. Yeah. But you can pull him back once. Yeah, you can pull him back. can't put him back out there. You can pull him back once. And then they're off. Um, yeah, so that's um, – and that's where you run into, like, where you can get caught is if you claim, like, a lesser guy – um, like a, a functional piece or a, a bench piece, then they'll just say, okay, take him, take the money. Yeah. Whereas, like, if it's a, a big guy, the Mariners a few years ago claimed since you chew off of waivers and try to work out a deal. And then I think it was with the, the Indians right before he went to the Rangers, they pulled him back because they're like, well, we can't get this done. But they did that, you know, because the Mariners are like, well, yeah, we'll, we'll claim him and see if we can get something for him. But, no, it's – I do think that the, the Mariners, if Felix tanks um, on Thursday – or tanks going forward, I think the Mariners will try and address starting pitching that way. I do think the A's are going to try and do the same thing. I think that a lot of times, because it limits your scope of teams that you're competing with, and, it, and then also the market isn't as insane, I think you'll see the Mariners maybe trying to address. I think DePoto's made like three or four waiver trades since he's been here, so I, I expect that to happen. Well, he got Mike Leak last yeah. year in uh, late August, so and he's now an integral part of the rotation, so... Uh, but the kind of guys that are going to be available are guys like Kashner yeah. and Mike Miner and, uh, you know, guys that... Matt uh, Harvey. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I think the Reds are just going to hang on to Harvey. But uh, um, because if, at this point, if you're going to trade him, you're not going to get much for him. Yeah. But, I mean, he's a free agent after this year, isn't he? Uh, yeah, maybe he is. Yeah, so that's why... I- I mean, like a lot of the guys, Mike Fires, some of these guys that people really wanted at the trade deadline, they're, they're going to be available still. You can still get them. Um, I think the Mariners are trying, and that's why we'll go real quickly next. I think that's the Mariners are trying to do. They don't know what they want to do with Felix Hernandez. Okay, I wrote on, on after his bad outing on Saturday that they have to discuss it. Scott Service said they're going to discuss it. It sounds like they've sort of discussed mm-hmm. it, but – where do you think it's at? And you'll hear Jerry talk about this today in that audio as well. Yeah, and uh, I'm writing about this for tomorrow, so uh, check CLTimes.com and or go to your local uh, newsstand, ha, 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 yeah. <laughs> as if those still exist, and pick up your Seattle Times and read it in the uh, paper. But I think that Felix is pitching for his life, not for his space on the team because he's not going anywhere but his place in the rotation which has been a given for 12 years now uh, 
I mean, I, th I think anyone other than Felix Hernandez would have been bounced a long time ago. But yeah, if his name is Giovanni Gallardo, he's <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's also the the money owed. I mean, you yeah. can't overlook the money owed. Yeah, but there's also the sunk cost theory. I mean, yeah. they're they're paying him that money. They're they're trying to make the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. And if this guy's hurting you, you're paying the money either way, yeah. and you got to get him out of there. So, um, you know, they're. I think he's earned the right to have every last uh, uh, doubt, the, the benefit of every last doubt. Uh, but I think that, that he's reached the last doubt. So um, I think Thursday, if he has another clunker like he did his last time out in Anaheim, I, I, they have no choice but to pull him. I think he's got maybe one or two starts because you have Erasmo. Yeah. And so, and I don't know if Erasmo's ready. So um, I think uh, if you – Here's what you do. You start him Thursday. If he's good, okay, he's bought himself some time. If he's bad, you might just say, look, you got one more, and it better, really better go, or you're done. Because, uh, I I, like, a lot of these things, though, Larry, and we talked about this, they always do it, like, one start too late or a couple games too late. Like, the, it's very evident to everybody else, but for whatever reason, the optimism, like, the belief, okay, maybe he's going to do it, I don't know. I think he's got maybe one more. He, he'll have, I think, at most two more and then they'll go because I don't know that Erasmo is going to be ready. Yeah. He starts tonight uh, in Arkansas, my little cousin. He's supposed to go four or five. I, you know, if he comes out of that looking strong, the next progression would be seven innings. So that's a start there. Uh, and then they go from there. I don't know whether they would go add Erasmo into the bullpen and then just half start him like a five and a half man rotation or a six man rotation or if they just bump Felix out and say hey you're going on the DL uh, and then we'll talk about where you're at and that kind of thing but that's kind of where they're at well I, I'll, I'll kind of half disagree I think if he has another outing where he gets rocked in the second or third inning I don't think he has another one I think that's it it could be I mean it's it one it's not just Scott Service's decision it's DePoto even ownership on some level could steps in on something like this but um yeah I guess I don't know it'll the optics would look worse if he got if he gets drilled at home on Thursday against a bad a bad uh what's his name a bad Blue Jays team yeah for sure um you know, it's amazing how people are kind of done with Felix. It's like a, it shows. I mean, maybe I maybe it's the fickleness case, of it. it. The fickleness of it. Maybe it's a case of getting a warped view of what people really think by reading by reading oh, Twitter, I, which is you know you get to see. You that's only, the vocal minority. crazy minority. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I think people really appreciate Felix, but to read the tweets it's like get this bum out of here it just yeah. that never ceases to amaze me is how quickly a portion of fans turn on a guy who's real i mean they don't owe him blind total loyalty but i think there's a level of empathy that sometimes is missing oh there's no humanity on twitter whatsoever so i yeah i i always kind of roll my eyes at it because it's like if 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 he went out and then dealt for like three straight starts they'd be like oh the same people be like oh yeah. the king is back you know yeah. and, all that and stuff. they'd say i don't know why people were doubting him i never did yeah, <laughs> yeah erase your tweets people ask josh hater um yeah no i and trade Turner and yeah. uh, and the guy from the uh, Sean Newcomb. Yeah, I have. Um, I I know this is true for you. I I can't tell you how many words I've written on Felix, and I can't tell you how many words I've written on him lately about like the push and pull of whether he'll be good again and whether mm -hmm. he'll figure this out. It's it just it's been three years of this, and it, it just hasn't gotten any better. And I I do think. I wouldn't say he's past the point of rescue permanently, but I think he's past the point of rescue for this season. I don't think he can figure it out. I think it was too late for him to go to Mel Stottlemyre and say, fix me midseason. Um, we mentioned this earlier, but if you want to be good at 35, you have to start when you're 33. That's what Raul Obani has always said, although he said that about 39. At the, I don't, um, he also said stool once. You can check my stool if you remember that. I mean, um, when somebody accused him of PEDs. Um, no, I... I, I just think that for Felix to be good, this had to have, this change had to have come a long time ago, and it hasn't. I don't know if you can fix it in one year going into next year. It's amazing. Everybody talks about the velocity. And uh, earlier today we were sitting in there, and I had the numbers up of Mike Leake and Felix Hernandez. Their velocities right now of where they're at in their career are almost essentially equal on every level on almost every pitch. Leake has a cutter. Felix 
could throw a cutter. He doesn't. Um, he's got that slider instead. But they throw similar pitches, basically the same velocities. One guy can survive, one guy can't. Why? Because the one guy can command it and adjust in games, and the other guy still can't figure out his fastball command or the command of his other pitches consistently. Yeah, and, I mean, what an amazing turn of events that we're talking Felix Hernandez aspiring to be as good as Mike Leak. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Part of it is is Mike Leak has always been this guy, the command guy, and Felix has not. Felix has been a stuff guy. Now he's not a stuff guy. He needs to be a command guy, only he doesn't have command. But the thing that, that I always keep coming back to is it's like when you, you know, the, the old story about when you go out golfing and you have a terrible round, but you have like five shots that are great and you think, okay, I've got it. I, did, I you know, it brings you back. Felix has had games and he, he and stretches where he's looked pretty good. He had that one stretch where we all thought he kind of figured it out. Yeah. It was like three, four out of five starts. Yeah, we, it was right with that Tampa start here. Yeah, yeah we, we talked about it on here. Yeah. And so. And opening day was good, and you know, I think there's this. Uh, you, you you tend to think they've all been no, no crap this year, but they haven't been. There's been pockets of decent outings in there, so that makes you think that okay, it's in there, it's in there. He's just got to figure out a way to make it more consistent. And uh, but again, you're right. You're absolutely right. We've been talking about this so long that you just at some point you you have to wonder. You know, he's got one year left on the contract at, what, $25 million. So uh, yeah, I don't think there's any question that they'll bring him, no matter what happens, they'll bring him to camp next year. But, you know, if, he's, if, if we're still having this conversation in May, then you, then you have to have other thoughts. But I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. But that's the point he's reached in his career, that you're wondering if he's even going to finish out the contract. How would you take him out of the rotation? Here's what I would do. I would DL him. I would say you're going on the DL. We'll say whatever it is, a shoulder, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna we're gonna let you come back. Where you're gonna go one inning at a time, and you, you we'll say that you know your shoulder is not gonna allow you to be a starter right now. Maybe next year, but right for now, we're gonna put you in the put him in the bullpen to see if his stuff ticks up. They're carrying eight guys. I mean, especially in September when the rosters expand, you can bring him back then and then use him one inning at a time and see if that works. No, I think that's a great way to do it, and. And, he saves face a little yeah. bit that way. And I, I think he's been humble to the point oh, yeah. now where, you know, people are w- wondering what, how he would take it if they took him out of the rotation. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be defiant or anything. What, what, what argument does he have? He's now? lost all leverage. Yeah, he's lost the leverage, and I think he feels really bad. And I think he wants to do what is best for the team. I really do believe that. And uh, I think he may be more... Uh, amenable to this than we think he is. You know, I, I could be dead wrong. On yeah, that, he is stubborn, but I don't think he's stupid. You know, I don't think that that's. I think he has some realization. When we talked to him on Saturday night, that's as broken as I've ever seen him before. Mm-hmm. Hands were shaking. His, I thought he was going to cry, and um, you know, it just there was not even when he's been bad and bad for stretches. There's always that little ounce of swagger, like oh, I'm going to fix this, or oh, this is. There was none of that. It was just a guy. I mean, he looked mm-hmm. ordinary, like every other pitcher, you know, that's just fighting for survival at the big leagues. That's what he looked like when he's talking to us. And that's why the Thursday becomes, whoops, one of the uh, most, to me, most intriguing starts of his career, right? You know, when he faced Daisuke and Fenway and pitched a one-hitter and some of those great games he had at Yankee Stadium. And uh, there was one game a couple of years ago when the Mariners were actually fighting for a playoff berth when he had a big start in September. Um, this one's right up there for different reasons to oh, see how we covering it either. <laughs> uh, to, I'll be out here to see how he responds to this situation, this kind of back to the wall, do or die for staying in the rotation possibly for, for, for Felix. So I, I'm, I'm totally uh, intrigued by what's, what, what he's going to do. I mean, uh, if ever he's going to be motivated and uh, maybe too intense or too motivated, but usually in those situations that brings out the best in him. So we'll see. It's supposed to be a big crowd too. Blue Jays coming. Okay, one well, of this prediction for Thursday. What does he do? I'm going to say he has a start that's going to be ambiguous. It's going to be there'll be three innings of good. And- yeah, it'll be five. You know, he'll have three. He'll be lights out for three. Give up a three-run homer in the four. At the end of it, it'll be five and two-thirds, three or four runs, and you'll go, oh, no. What, what, was that good? Was that bad? Uh, 
So that's what I predict. Six innings, two runs, seven hits, one walk, and about five strikeouts. And then you'll still be, you still won't really know what you have. Because I don't even know one start, if it's just middle of the road, you don't really know what you have there or not. No. No. And, uh, but that's, he doesn't go six anymore either. And they've had to carry a long reliever every time he starts on the auspice. He might only go three. And yep. so that's, that's a hard way to live. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to be right. You're going to be wrong. <laughs> we kind of said the same thing. Yeah. No. So we're both going to be right. I said one run or two runs. You said three or four. Yeah. Did you say one or two runs? I, I said two runs. runs. Okay. Six innings, two runs. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll wrap it up. All right. Thank you. All right, that'll do it for this week's show. Um, hopefully we will be a little more regulated. Like I said, it's just been kind of crazy with schedules. I was on the road. Larry was on the road a little bit. Seahawks have started, so Larry's not always available. But I'm going to try and branch out and get some other guests as well. So I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Thanks to Larry for coming on. Thanks to Midnight Salvage Company, the official house band of the Experience Podcast for all the bumpy music and everything else. Another night where I count the seconds.